Dawson, have you stolen my pen? Yeah, I have. Okay, I need my pen. No, you can't have it back. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, you can have it. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. All right, let's go to uh, text messages and let's see mm. what we've got coming through. We'd love to hear from you guys, so please do send your messages mm. through. Uh, we always appreciate what you have to say. So let's see what we've got here. Uh, the Chosen. You mentioned The Chosen earlier. Oh, yes, I did. Mm-hmm. Comparing to most Hollywood-made movies, it's the best presentation of Jesus' humanity I have ever seen. Great I, show. I agree. Not perfect, but well done. I agree. I think most Christians would say that. And, you know, I think all of us as Christians, we tend to be picky of these kind of things. There is there is nothing worse than doing a depiction of Jesus Christ in the media because you know that you're going to be pulled apart in anything that you do and people are going to say, oh, that's not in the Bible, or that's not, whatever. Um, having said all of that, yeah, there's, there's spots where you're like, oh, I wish it had been done differently. Mm. But I would say it's the only one I would ever only one only depiction of Jesus that's ever been made that I would ever show to a non-Christian. Mm. What about like the Passion of the Christ? No. No? No. Yeah, there's some pretty spooky parts. There's some very, very <laughs> unbiblical stuff. <in> <laughs> uh, and The Chosen is the only one that actually presents a real Jesus. Yes. Rather than a super theatrical kind of, yeah, just strange, cringy, cr- creepy. Yeah, creepy. Creepy Jesus, dude. That's like, <sighs> I don't know what it is, but why? Why, why creepy Jesus? Uh-huh. It happens all the time. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. All right. So Lawson, uh-huh, on 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 electric cars. Uh-huh. Oh, you're, you're about to get wrecked. No, I'm not. No, I yes, am not. You are. I've read the research, guys. The text messages come through. Uh-huh. The research is here and it is incontrovertible. You are about to get wrecked. Okay. Okay. Have you ever considered that oil is made from vegetation? Sure. Trees, etc. But uh-huh. the trees and things are clean and healthy for you. So cars are actually vegetarians. That is the <laughs> dumbest <laughs> thing I have <laughs> ever heard. That is, is the, the best text silliest, come dumbest. <laughs> like, okay, I, whoever said that, whoever said that, like, I, let, <laughs> I just want you to know that I love you. But if you're going to come after me like this with some absolute nonsense, I'm going to no, call you out the, for it. This is the best text <laughs> message I've ever had. This is the best one I've so ever had. I love silly. this one so much. Okay, in brackets at the end, it does say just joking. <laughs> yeah, good, good. <laughs> I thought they were going to say in the 2018, yeah, no, 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 no. Cars are vegetarians. There you go, they're vegetarians, fossil okay. fuels. All right. Um, <laughs> but didn't you just hear what you said, fossil fuels? Yeah, fossilised trees. That's where oil comes from. We all know that. <laughs> okay, Russia, how long before it starts happening to Christians everywhere? Mm. You think I'm joking? Mm. Most Christians have no idea what the future holds. Read Revelation chapter 13 if you have any questions yeah, on that. Wow. It's all there. Uh, Canada, great time to understand the separation of church and state and why Jesus thought and, and why Jesus thought it. Uh, it amazing... Uh, what can be done by the NWO via the WHO, the New World Order, by the World Health Organization in the name of health. Please consider the bigger picture. The last day's total control leads to the mark of the beast. And it's true. You know, you do see the pandemic used as a, uh, as a, a, as a method to bring in higher levels of control that people are willing to accept because of the fear that comes along. And this does not mean that we should go out and disobey the government. What it does mean is that we should be aware. Mm. Now, there will come a time in the future when we go out and disobey the government, for sure. 
this is not that time. Yeah. But it is a time to be aware and to note the signs of the times and to note the trajectory of our world. Mm. Now, this was an interesting one. Uh, I Somebody was listening to the interview and we talked about uh, Mary Raby and uh, how she was you know, received a, a death sentence at the age of 13, which was commuted to life in Australia. And I kind of asked the question, you know, in the 1790s, were they hanging kids? Mm. So the youngest female ever hanged in the UK uh, was an 11-year-old English girl from Little Wenlock, um, and that was during the reign of Henry VIII. She's likely the youngest girl ever to ever to be legally executed. The youngest person was John Dean in uh, 1629, who was hanged for arson. He was eight years old. <laughs> yeah, that is hectic. Uh, makes you awful thankful. What kind of? You know, sometimes I complain about living in 2021. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure not complaining. I do. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm not complaining about not living in in the 1600s. Yeah. Oh, it's a classic. What is it? The the good old days fallacy. This idea yes. that oh yeah, it was better back then. You know, I, I, this is no, thing. There's that, no white effect. Uh, sorry. There's no. Yeah. White there's effect. no white you know, effect. You look at the mirror on the wall. Glasses, you you, you yeah. look at the mirror on the wall, and it's like, well, I wish I was like that. You know. Yeah. It's the like past I, was always better. The the next generation has wrecked everything. Um. But yeah. Wow. Eight year old kid. Yeah. Mm. So my my dad always says this thing. He's like, "Oh yeah, the good old days when they used to send kids down the mines." Like, <laughs> yes. like just putting it into perspective, right? When everyone died of polio, the good old days. Like, <laughs> yeah. But hey, you know, we still like as the person, uh, as one of the text mentions, and we look at Revelation thirteen and we see a time of trouble such as there such never, as never was. was. That's right. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we are living. We are living in the most and uh, the most blessed period of the history of the world yeah. right now. Mm-hmm. We we are literally living in it right now. And, you know, during serious news, I do highlight a lot of the challenges that we are facing in our world and a lot of the imperfections that our world has. But we should be thankful, particularly living here in Australia, we have freedom and liberty still to be able mm. to present the Word of God and to share it with others. And we should be doing it as much as we can because yes. the reality is it won't last. It won't. It will not. Mm. We know that even if we didn't have Bible prophecy, we would know that from history. Yes. Because history repeats itself. 100%. And we've had liberty in the past and we've had restrictions in the past. And liberty is not the norm. Mm. Liberty is an aberration of history and we need to recognize that. Mm. And it won't last because history repeats itself. It does. All right, let's go to our Bible study. Mm-hmm. And I might, I thought, you know, we're talking about, you know, this week, the burden yes. and the yoke. And Jesus says, take my yoke because I'll pull most of the weight. Mm. I'll pull all of the weight. Uh, my my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Mm. And so we have talked about yoking ourselves to Jesus Christ. Yeah, well. We've also talked about being like Jesus Yeah, and bearing others' burdens. Mm. And how do we go about doing that and following the example of Jesus so that not only is Jesus bearing our burden, but then we bear the burdens of others. And I decided today that we might start with a bit of a story. We're actually going to go back to where we finished off yesterday in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're going to spend a bit of time there because we read the whole passage, uh, but we didn't really have time to go back and to dwell on some of the verses that it contains. Mm. So we're going to spend some time there. We're also going to have a story here. Um, But before... 
Before we do any of that, and Lawson was getting ready and going to First Corinthians chapter 12, <laughs> we're actually going to go to Matthew chapter 11. Okay. So Matthew chapter 11, verse 25 to 27. So if you're following along at home, then hey, pull out your Bible and turn to these passages yourself. Get ready for to read. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. All right, Matthew chapter 11, starting in verse 25. The Bible says, At that time Jesus prayed this prayer, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever and for revealing them to the childlike. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. My Father has entrusted everything to me. No one truly knows the Son except the Father, and no one truly knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Okay, so this is a really interesting passage that we're given to right here. And, and the question that comes out of this passage, why does God hide the plan of salvation, you know, when he mm. says these things, from the wise and the prudent and reveal them to babes? Mm. That is a good question. Yes, it's a very good question, and I'm wondering what your answer to it is. Uh. Because I was the one who asked it first. <laughs> Uh, okay, well, I see it like this, like, um, the reality is, if if the plan of salvation is, is and when it talks about those who are wise, it's not talking about, like, smart people. I believe it's talking about those who are proud, who think themselves wise. That's yes. what the Bible says. It's those Absolutely. who are proud, like the religious Thinking leaders. Thinking themselves wise, they became fools. Exactly. And the reality is, is that, like, Jesus is revealing the the plan of salvation to them through the parables and through direct teaching as well. You know, and furthermore, like as religious leaders, they've had, uh, well, within their lifetime, but then within the lifetime and this span of Israeli history, they've had thousands of years to see the plan of salvation. They live near the temple. They service the temple. They are like seeing it play out before their very eyes, yet they still don't understand. And I feel like Jesus here is, you know, with the calling of his disciples, they were all common people. I think that those were the ones in which he was referring to those who were babes. Like, he called to be around him and to be with him and to be helping them because he knew they were actually going to not just listen to the plan of salvation and understand the plan of salvation, but commit to the plan of salvation and actually change their life, to to repent of their sin. Like, oh, man, you know, yeah, this these kinds of things. Yeah, it's an, interesting, it's an interesting passage. I, I, I think it's a very good, I think you've given a very good summary right there. Mm. Because, you know, when I look at, you know, when you, when, you, when you look at this passage, I think that there is a certain level of arrogancy that humans are prone to. Mm. And the more educated we are, the easier it is to exercise that arrogancy because we simply, you know, a more educated person knows a lot more than a less educated person. Mm. And... It's easy to allow that to go to your head. Mm. And so when that goes to your head, it's easy to start to think of yourself as being more than you are. Mm. And when you start to think of yourself as being more than you are, uh, and of course along with that comes uh, wealth and, mm. and you know, you don't have to fight for necessities every day. We, we struggle with this here in Australia. And it becomes a trap and the Bible talks about, you know, people who are choked with the cares and the stresses yeah, wow. and the money and the recreation, etc., of the world, just choked by all of that. Mm. And so it kind of forms this bit of a vicious cycle where it becomes easy 
when you have when you are highly educated to think, well, I can do this myself, mm. and I did this myself, and this has got nothing to do with God. Well, it's Solomon, the wisest man in the history of the world, who said, yes. "Knowledge makes proud." Yes, like he understood. And this, is, and this is not. This is not in any way speaking against education. Oh, it's like, yeah, how could we? It's what it, we need to understand, though. We need to put education in its true context. And this mm. is one of the things that I think we fail to do as Christians in our schools is to teach our children what true education actually is. Mm. True education is all about redemption. You know, it's all about that, that is, you know, reading, writing, arithmetic, the three R's, whatever it might be that you are teaching to children. It's all for the purpose of them finding redemption. Mm. Because unless true education exists, unless they are finding redemption, then what's the purpose of your three hours? Mm. They're a bit useless to you if you only have them for you know a short 70, 80 years or so here on this earth. I think it goes even further than that. Like if we could just speak to those who are in the, posi- in the position of the knowledgeable and the proud, like that these people are calling out. It's like you can't become more smarter than God. That's right. Like you can't gain enough knowledge into which you are not needing Christ in your life. Like, you know, you can't overcome your sin by knowledge. And and this is the reality. This is the thing that you need to accept. And it's like, well, you know, if you're sitting there and you're like, oh, well, well, but I've done all these things. It's like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who you are. Like, we are all in the same playing field of being sinful and broken human beings who are in need of the salvation of Christ. Yes. Like, and, and there's nothing that will change that. Like, there, there is no, like, yeah, no achievement that you can make in your life. There's no even amount of good that you can do with your knowledge that will change the reality that you are a broken person and you need to come to Christ. Yes. Like, oh, I feel like, and this is one of the interesting things, you know, you and I saw this when we were in Ethiopia where you have people who, you know, you're living in a country where a university professor is being paid $300 a month. Yeah. US. Mm. That's, and that's a very high wage. And so this is a poverty stricken nation where people don't have much. Mm. You know, they're super thankful if they have a motorbike. Yeah. You know, we, we worry about the next car that we're going to buy and, you know, we have kind of two cars or maybe even more than that. And they're super thankful if they have a beat-up old motorbike mm. to be able to get around on. And a lot of them are using, you know, donkey transport and so forth. And yet you find a nation of incredibly intelligent people. mm highly educated people. I mean, so many of them have university degrees. And yet it's one of the most religious countries in the world. Mm. You know, you remember those churches and the young people in those churches, they were full of young people. And, and not only like... They're on fire for God. Like not only full of, of religious people, but I love it. I love seeing like something I have a heart for is, you know, as we as we read in the Bible about false Christianity, false spirituality, all these things, like something that I really want to see, and particularly in Australia, is like a winning, to make a religion less of a nominal culture thing and make it more about, okay, what's true? And, yes. and this is what we saw in Ethiopia, that people were coming to other churches to listen to us preach the truth of the word. Yes. And and rather than holding on to, you know, um, the comfortabilities of culture and nominalism and what their parents thought, they would hear the truth of the word of God and they would make a commitment to it. 
That's right. Because it's true. Yes. And I feel like in Australia, we have this contrast where it's like, if you are Christian and, you know, for a lot of people, it's like, you know, you stay, you stick to your faith because of <coughs> cultural allegiance or your family or whatever it may be, where it's like... These yeah, I grew are up pe- in this church and I'm not leaving it. Yeah, okay. whereas these people were like so educated, but because of their their the way that they were humbled in their life, right? In, in living in such difficult circumstances, they were truly open to open to the calling of the spirit and the truth of the word mm-hmm. rather than just calling yourself. And, and we are all guilty of this calling yourself a Christian and just floating around and being like, Oh, you know, I've, I've got my stuff. I've got it handled. Like that, that happens so much in Australia. You know, it's a problem that I have identified, you know, I'm working in um, the youth space at a, at, a, at a university church and it's like, you know, we have amazing on fire people, who come to our church, but I see it as a consistent problem amongst our, our young people, particularly those who grew up in a Christian household, even if they're, they're attending church and everything of just that lack of, of commitment to their beliefs, um, their commitment to the word um, and, and really serving God. And, and it all comes back to that. Oh, you know, I know, like I, you know, knowledge makes proud. I know what the Bible says. I grew up with it. I'm studying a university degree. Ah, oh, man, I got a handle on that stuff. Like I, you know, I get it. Like it's all good. And, and, you know, I'll come to church twice a month and I'll just float around. It's like, no, like God is calling you to a commitment here. Like God is calling you to be a part of his work. That's everyone. Sorry if I'm ranting, but no, go ahead, I man. really see that's why Jesus that's why Jesus chose tradesmen. Yes. Because they're humble. That's right. Because they would be open to the truth. They would hear the real truth. They've heard, they've heard a lot of stuff. They, they grew up in, in Israel. Like they grew up in Jerusalem uh, and, and these kind of nations in Galilee where it's like they're surrounded by synagogues. They're surrounded by religious people. But they, they're humble in their hearts and they hear the truth and they follow it. And it's like, man, how I just long that we could see that in Australia where people are actually seeking after truth, not just comfort, not just, you know, friends at church. Not No, like the truth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You want to see commitment? Look at those three JWs in Russia right now. Wow. Amen. You know, they'll, they'll end their life in prison rather than compromise their conscience. Oh, amen. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Okay, so we were talking about, we're going we're gonna to go back to uh, talking about bearing people's burdens and mm. helping others out and mm. being like Christ who bears our burdens. And I'm going to share a story. Now, this story comes out of the United States, but I want us to apply it to Australia. I think this is a story that could be told over and over and over and over again here in this country. Uh, so it, it, it goes like this. Nin Singh's two daughters wanted to go to a Christian school when they arrived in the United States as refugees from Myanmar. Wow. Mm. So we have a lot of refugees that arrive in this country, Mm. and so this is something that we could be familiar with. Eight-year-old Lun made it a matter of prayer during morning and evening family worship. Please, God, help us, she prayed. We want to go to a Christian school. If you want, you can help us. Naum was only four and not ready for school, but that didn't deter her. Please, God, help us, she prayed. Their single mother, Ning, wished she had a choice other than public school in their new hometown in the state of Georgia. But she didn't have any money to send Lund to a Christian school. She had other problems as well. She couldn't speak English, she didn't know how to drive, and she had no job. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty rough, you know, when you put all of that together. And this is what a lot of refugees face, and they come to countries like Australia or the United States because of terrible persecution, Mm. terrible, terrible religious persecution. 
uh, in the countries that they live in. Uh, okay, then the, she, she, she didn't know how to drive, she had no job, she didn't speak English. Then the headache started, the pain spread to her left arm and left side. She lost sight in her left eye. Uh, Ning wept. How would she care for her daughters, much less send them to a Christian school? As she cried, she read the Bible and prayed. God, please answer my prayer, she said. Give me a miracle. Slowly the pain disappeared and her sight returned. And you've got to wonder how refugees get on in the US where, you've, um, where you don't have a public health system yeah, like we wow. have here. Oof, don't know. Um, probably they have a special system for refugees, but anyway. Mm. Uh, where we go? Uh, slowly the pain disappeared and her sight returned. A warehouse offered her work and a Christian pastor drove her to the job interview. When she was hired, co-workers picked her up at the house and took her back. Then she learned how to drive. Her salary, however, was small. The first school year ended and Naum was old enough to start first grade in the autumn because uh, the American, the Northern Hemisphere does their school year differently. Yeah, yeah. Okay, both, both daughters kept praying. When the new school year started, both girls ended public school. Still they kept praying. God, please help us, uh, Lun prayed. Send... Uh, kind people to help pay the school fees. We want to learn the Bible in school. We want mm. to know you. Three weeks into the school year, a Christian friend called. Funds from a church offering would help cover the girls' tuition at a Christian school. Wow. You girls can start next week, the friend said. Lynn was ecstatic. Thank you, God, she exclaimed. You are able to do everything. You heard our prayers. We love you, God. We praise you. Now you mm. began to cry. She says, really? She said, God really answered our prayers. Sisters woke up at 5.30 a.m. for their first day of school. They eagerly watched and waited the window for the school bus to arrive. God mm. is very good to my family and me, Ning said. He cares for us and he loves us so much. You know, it's amazing. I don't ever remember getting up at 5.30 in the morning being so excited to go to school. <laughs> to go to school. Oh. School was one of those things that I avoided like the plague for as long as I could. And I think one of the reasons that, you know, kids in countries like Australia do that and we see it as being a burden, is because it's so freely available. Mm. We don't value it like others do. But the thing I love about this story is how many people came together to help this family out mm. and to help bear their burdens and to actually live out in a very practical way the example of Jesus Christ. Mm. Wow. You know, because you've got here... Um, you, you've got the warehouse that steps in, you've got the pastor who steps in, provides transport, you've got a co-workers that step in, then you've got a church that steps in, and they're all stepping in. And because all of them spread the burden amongst themselves, yes. you know, if one person tried to do that, that would be, well, a full-time job. Yeah. But because they're able to spread it out over a church community and out mm. over a work community... Look what's able to be accomplished. And I feel like the ultimate result of that burden spreading, those people being blessed, is like I feel as though the faith of these refugees is just going to be so edified and they're going and to just become yeah, strengthened and they'll be powerful witnesses for Jesus. And I feel like, man, we – like the Bible says in uh, – I believe it's Hebrews chapter 12, uh, where it's, you know, um, God chastens everyone, you know, and not not to not as a parent does to what he he seems good, but for our good, God chastens everyone, and it's like you know, and that chastening, those difficult circumstances, can ultimately lead to um, a situation where we can just 
you know, know him all the more better um, and be incredible witnesses for him. And, and that's as, well, they're sharing their story right there. Absolutely. And people are being inspired. It's amazing. Listen to this. Listen mm. to this. Let me, let me tell you whether this is not the most amazing quote you've ever heard. Mm. There is need of constant watchfulness and earnest, loving devotion. Mm. But these will come naturally when the soul is kept by the power of God through faith. Well, we can do nothing, absolutely nothing to commend ourselves to divine favor. We must not trust at all to ourselves or to our good works. But when, as erring sinful beings, we come to Christ, we may find rest in his love. Mm. God will accept everyone that comes to him trusting wholly in the merits of a crucified Savior. Love springs up in the heart. There may be no ecstasy of feeling, but there is an abiding, peaceful trust. Every burden is light, for the yoke which the Christian imposes is easy. Duty becomes a delight and sacrifice a pleasure. The path that before seemed shrouded in darkness becomes bright with beams from the Son of Righteousness. This is walking in the light as Christ is in the light. Mm. That's... Uh, from the book Faith and Works by Ellen White, page 38 and 39. Just a, a, a fantastic statement right there that talks about, you know, it really does highlight the fact that we can do nothing of ourselves. We need Christ to bear our burdens for us, and only when he bears our burdens for us can we bear burdens for others effectively. Mm. 100%. That story reminds me of, you know, that passage that we read yesterday, and we were going to uh, go back there and look at it in more detail from First Corinthians where the Bible talks about the body of Christ mm. and how that in the body of Christ you have the ear, you have the nose, you have the eye, you have the hand, you have the foot, you have the leg, and any of them on their own are kind of useless. Yes. Mm. But when you combine them together, look what can be accomplished. Mm. And so in the story of Ning and Noam um, and Lan, you know, this family that came from, you know, single parent family from Myanmar, doesn't speak English, all of these kind of things, arriving in the United States, you have this perfect example of the eye, the ear, the nose, the hand, the foot, the leg, the whatever, the body of Christ coming together to be able to bear the burdens and to make it work mm. in a really, really effective way for this family. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Well, that means it is now time for... Question of the Day. Right, Lyle, our our, uh, Question of the Day is a bit of an interesting one, considering, I think, you know, just the the media events that these kind of things create and the proliferation of them. Um, Essentially, the question is, should Christians enjoy violent combat sports, you know, things like MMA or boxing or whatever Cage it may fighting, be? fighting, that kind of stuff. Yeah. This is a really good question and, you know, particularly for us as guys mm. because I think it's very much a male thing. We're like, oh, yeah, there's going to be blood. Let's watch that. You know, it's, <laughs> it's kind of part of the male psyche somewhere along the line. I don't know why, but it is the – it's kind of the nature of, of – being a man, but yeah. anyway, is that a good thing and is that something that Christians should be involved in? So I want to re- re- share with you a couple of Bible verses and I also want to preface it by saying this. There are lots of people 
who get involved in you know various you know combat sports for the purpose of exercise, whether it you know might be boxing or mm. or or uh, you know you, you see people down you know boxing in the park and this kind of stuff, mm. or you know some of the martial arts and that kind of thing, uh, and particularly with the martial arts, it's important not to for a Christian not to involve themselves in the spiritual side yeah. of some of those martial arts, but they do it for exercise and they don't don't do it for combat. Mm. You know, they, they do it almost as a non or a semi-contact sport uh, and they, you know, but we're talking about where, you know, a couple of guys get in the ring and just punch the daylights out of each other and yeah. that's the whole purpose of it. You know, yeah. they are aiming every time they go in there, they're aiming for a knockout. And particularly like because it's so proliferated now. Like There's so much of it. Boxers are the highest paid sportsmen in the world. Almost. Okay, so I'm going to share a couple of passages with you. And then I want you to think about these passages because these are passages that describe the Christian person. Okay, so if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and I'll start reading from verse 4. The Bible says love is patient. Mm. So a Christian is patient, a Christian is kind. A Christian is not jealous or conceited or proud. Okay, start to remove these things from the boxing ring and see how far you're going to get. A Christian is not ill-mannered or selfish or irritable. A Christian does not keep a record of wrongs. A Christian is not happy with evil, but is happy with the truth. Mm. And so, you know, delights not in iniquity, it says in another translation, delights, doesn't delight in violence. So when we like these kinds of things, we have to ask ourselves the question, what's in our heart? Mm. So another passage that goes right along with that, of course, comes from Philippians uh, chapter 4 and verse 8, and where it says this, Whatever is true, whatever is honest, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of a good reputation, if there is any virtue, if there is any praise, think about these things. Mm. So, okay, take these passages and place them into the context of a cage fight. Mm. Can you be a Christian, walk into that cage, and absolutely smash another human being and practice what the Bible is saying right here? That is my challenge today. Now, if we go to Matthew chapter 5, of course, there's an even more challenging, you know, this is, this is Jesus' manifesto. This is, this is where Jesus is outlining, you know, the principles of his kingdom. Matthew chapter 5, and we are going to go to a very simple verse right here. Let me just find it very quickly. Um, You've heard that it has been said of an old time, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say that you resist not evil, that whosoever shall smite you or hit you on your right cheek, turn to him the other. Mm. How long? How far are you going to get away? Get, get along with that one in the boxing ring? <laughs> It's not going to work, guys. It's not going to happen. Mm. So there is a level of anger and even hatred that you need to self-generate. And mm. sportsmen who are in these particular disciplines, that's what they do. They self-generate this anger and this hatred to the opposition so that they can win. Yeah, nah, not going there as a Christian. Just not going to do it. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.